All right. Welcome back to the Adventist City Ministries podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Jeff. You know, Jeff, every year we have this holiday called Easter. Some people call it Resurrection Sunday, whatever you want to call it. You know, it becomes a national holiday. People take off from work and families gather. It's really become commercialized, you know, the bunnies and the eggs and the chocolates and whatever you, however your family celebrates it. But really it's become this commercialized event. Do you think people take the time to understand and what it's all about and and uh, what it really means, what, why it, it's, a, its origins, really. I think as time goes on, there's less and less consideration to the original story of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think that uh, culture seems to be winning the day that way. So today we're going to take a, we've been looking at the cross. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and why why that's meaningful to us as Christians. Um, sometimes we don't spend much time thinking about the resurrection. We just think of it as an event that occurred, but mm-hmm. we need to spend some time thinking about why. Why did it have to occur? And right. It, it's quite special. Yeah, because it's not something that happens apart from us, but it, it actually includes all of humanity in the process. Yes. And... We, you know, the way we, we handle other holidays like Memorial Day, Veterans Day, Halloween, you know, it's it's kind of this thing that comes once a year and we can get excited about it maybe for a little bit. But for the Christian, it's something we can actually look forward to all year. And its spirit is something that we, we can practice every day. Yeah. And if we if we really take in the truth of it, it, it actually becomes very exciting to understand how eternal life is wrapped into this notion of the resurrection of Jesus. So I'm excited. Paul, the apostle, um, in his travels had to address this issue and no, no place more clearly than in first Corinthians chapter 15. And so it's almost an apologetic. It's, uh, it, uh, is dealing with, uh, what appears to be an issue in Corinth. And uh, so that we're going to stay exclusively in his argument today as we consider. And and what are the implications for us in Christianity in this modern time um, in terms of what he's saying? So we're in 1 Corinthians 15? And yeah, and I think we'll just read the first couple of verses to uh, see how he presents. We'll do it in steps. Because he's a, Paul delivers in a, sort of a lawyer fashion. Everything argument is... Uh, has a logical order to it. So that's a really a legal case. For it is a legal case. The resurrection of yeah. Christ. Starting in verse one, it says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand by this gospel. You are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I've preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. And I'm going to switch over to the new King James here. <laughs> and it says, for I've delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Okay, so we see here that uh, Paul starts by reminding them of the gospel. You know, and he does it very succinctly. He says that he talks about um, that Christ died. And so for those of you who have been listening along the way, there's sort of an assumption built into the death of Jesus Christ, and that is that he was born and he lived. Uh, so we covered those two areas, so his birth, and he lived a life until he died. And, and then 
He's saying that he uh, resurrected on the third day according to scriptures. And so um, Paul adds to that that he died for our sins. He doesn't just call an event that Christ, there was intention for his death, and that was to save us from our sins. And, and that's what Christ did. But also the, you know, the um, scriptures, as he said, according to the scriptures in verse 3, clearly let us know that, uh, uh, that Jesus uh, died for our sins. And we can find that in Psalms 22, 15 and other places as to the prophetic notion of that. So, and then uh, from there, um, he goes on to let us know that um, in verse 4, uh, that also from the Psalms, that th- this was prophetic fulfillment, that he would uh, rise up after three days. Let's move on from there, and, and now we're going to see some of the, I think there's five proofs that he uses in terms of eyewitnesses. And then he moves on from that evidence to an explanation of the importance of the resurrection. So verses uh, 5 through 8. And they say, uh, And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the prophets. Then last of all he was seen by me, also by one born out of due time. So that's a pretty... That's yeah. a lot of witnesses. If that's, you're... that's a that's a, a roster to yeah. to go down. So these all these people actually physically saw Jesus in his resurrected form, and it wasn't necessarily a dream or you know some no. apparition illusion. It wasn't but, sort of some ethereal experience that they were having. They actually, right? You know, in the case of of, of Peter and Paul, they actually saw Jesus. Right. Well, and then you think of Thomas and how he was actually yeah. able to touch him. Actually touched him. Physical being. So there's. There's no doubt that it was something real and tangible. You know, what's interesting here is this: there's this over 500 brethren at once. That was quite a gathering, and we don't know much about it, but it seems like they had a little, you know, uh, a little camp meeting where Jesus appeared to 500 people at once. Uh, that we don't we don't have another scriptural uh, balance to that that we can go and see. And it, 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 so, so, and that would have uh, you know 500 people gathering. In, in Israel would have been a public event. Yeah. You know? So the, the thing is, we don't normally think about these facts when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus. We just no. kind of think, oh, well, he, he rose from the grave and the women, the women at the tomb saw him and then the disciples and then maybe a, a few other people. But then it's like, oh, well, then he went back up to heaven. But no, you're just like, you know, maybe even almost a thousand people who saw him. Yeah, it's quite a few. In a court of law, it certainly would be proof enough that there were eyewitnesses to the account. So at this point, he's created, Paul's kind of created, okay, well, this is the gospel. The gospel says, and according to scriptures and prophecy, that Jesus would die and he would be resurrected after three days. And he says, and oh, by the way, you know, these hundreds of people have seen him in person and that's more evidence right. and now you can even go ask them like you can you go can, ask you them. can interview them you don't have to take my word for it right so now he um he talks about himself a little bit here and it's an interesting account uh in these next couple of verses through verse 11 and and if you'll read those andrew we can just look at it right for i am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because i persecuted the church of god 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Yeah, I love uh, Paul's assessment of himself throughout his writings, and this is sort of the third or, or second or third um, uh, denigration that he makes of himself through, you know, he starts out in some of his epistles, Paul, an apostle of God, right? And here we say he, he's calling himself the least of the apostles. This is a time late, you know, this is later in his life. And then he goes on in another place where he actually says, Paul, least amongst the brethren, you know, so he, he takes it a step further. He's in, you know, he, and then finally in Timothy, he talks about, he says, uh, Paul, the chief of sinners. Oh, so no. <laughs> I, it kind of uh, is an interesting evaluation. I, I have had that evaluation in, in my life as, as you start thinking, you know, you're pretty cool, right. you know, in ministry. And then you begin to realize that, uh, uh, no, you're not, you're really just a, a, an open vessel for God to do whatever he wants to do. And, you're still a sinner in need of a savior. And I actually can say that I see sin more clearly in my life now than I did 20 yeah. years ago. He must increase and I must decrease. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're going to get into, uh, Paul's, um, preaching reasons, his, his, uh, uh, his apologetic as to why it's logical that we believe in the resurrection. So we'll, uh, be reading from verses 12 through 19, and then we'll exegete a little bit. We'll pick it apart. 12 through 19. So 12 through 19 say, Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the, of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Yeah, this is an interesting sequence here, and it's actually uh, some of the points are repeated to add emphasis to what he's saying so we'll just go carefully go through, um, first off, the, the fact that he, he brings up the fact that Christ is preached and he preaches Christ. Remember in Corinth, um, in chapter 2, I believe it is, he said, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so that's what Paul preaches. Right. And But apparently in Corinth, there started to be an issue with the resurrection, some of that probably came just through the, the Sadducee influence. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, and so there were probably some people who were amongst the Jewish congregation who you know, said, okay, I'm, I'm all right, right with everything else, but I'm not okay with that. Right. I, we will take on this idea that Jesus is a good man and he is our example, but really when you get down to it, the resurrection of the dead has to happen if you are in Christ at all. Right. Because it's part of who he is. And when we come into his, the experience of Christ, uh, you, you, you basically get everything with that wholesale, you know, everything that Christ has done becomes a part of who we are. Right. Including and, the resurrection. And, and he makes that point. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, 
then Christ is not risen. Well, that's a logical statement, yeah. right? If, if, if there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead, then Christ himself can't be risen. Right. Um, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. Those are two big statements. Okay, let's break it down. Yeah. First off, he says, our preaching is in vain. So he's taking it on himself. He's basically saying, everything that I have said up to this point is irrelevant if Christ hasn't risen. It's all in vain. It's meaningless. Uh, Paul um, Solomon say, would say, it's all vanity or vanity, even uh, in vain mm-hmm. is in tune with that, that, that statement. It's all in vain if Christ isn't risen. And added to that, your faith is in vain because what do you have faith in? So it's, um, you know, these are, he's really getting to the, to the heart of this uh, in letting us know uh, another word for vain there is empty. Your faith is empty. So then in verse 15, he adds to it. He says this, and we are found false witnesses because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead did not rise. So yeah, he's saying that we are liars because we've been all this time we've been talking about how Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> we'd be we'd be considered liars if we were telling the opposite. Well, think about the implications of what he just said there too. He's also saying that the old because we read in the beginning that the Psalms predict his his resurrection. Right. So what does it say about the credibility of the Bible if it's not a true statement? Right. And also, well, then he wouldn't be the Christ. He wouldn't he be wouldn't the Messiah. He wouldn't be the Christ. They'd have and to the Bible wait would for be somebody inaccurate else. and untrue. There's well, just yeah, and then we have all these other factors that point to Jesus. So it's like, okay, well, it, all these things seem to point to Jesus, but if he didn't raise from the dead, then, I mean, what's going on here? What and can, it, we, in what can fact, we trust? In fact, in the New Testament, in, when Jesus you know, walked the earth, he pointed to the fact that he would resurrect himself, right? And After so three days, I'll raise his temple. Right? right, and so who else's credibility is challenged, right? Is this the very fact that Jesus said this would happen, and now we're saying it didn't happen? Uh, it actually challenges the notion, like you said, of Jesus as Messiah. And um, so he goes on, and this is a repeat, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. That's sort of a repeat repeated phrase, but it's adding emphasis to what he's saying, how important this is. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. It's a little stronger words than in vain. And you are still in your sins. That's a new idea. You're, you're actually going against the grain. You're struggling. You're not just sedentary about it, but you're actually struggling against fighting against the flow of what God would actually want then. Yeah. Because if there's no resurrection, there's no newness of life so to speak, after we've been forgiven of our sins, there's no newness of life. And if there's no, if there's no resurrection, it, it calls into accountability or, or questions the notion of the death of Christ as being the salvation for the world. So if Christ didn't die, if he didn't resurrect, maybe he didn't die and maybe our sins aren't forgiven. And maybe if, you know, so if you take away one piece of the linkage, you end up still in your sins right. where you started. And I think we should mention the fact of the the notion of corporate solidarity here because it, the, the gospel is all based on this idea that we are in Christ right. and that his experience becomes ours. So when he died on the cross, the, hu- the sin of humanity died with him. We all died with him. So we can see ourselves uh, and our sin on the cross with Jesus. So as he died, we died. But then also 
because we're in him, it means we also raise with him. And so Paul is using that, uh, you know, that's the basis of, of what he, the result of, of this, this argument that, well, then the mechanics of this, how this all work are out of whack. Right. And a lot of what you said there, there's a lot of, for those who are theologians, um, there's a lot of ways of putting this. It's when we're talking about positional theology or the fact that we're in Christ, that's the in Christ motif or the subjective gospels, another way of looking or the objective gospels, another way of looking at it. And those are all, maybe they're familiar to you or they're not, but the fact is, and this is made very simple. And that is, is that when we believe that Jesus has done what he said he would do and what he actually did, when we move into belief, his holy history is attributed to me. And so as I, uh, I have no fear of the judgment anymore because when I stand before the judge, the judge looks at me as I am enshrouded in the life of Jesus. Right. And that's not to say, and we'll talk about uh, this another time, that's not to say that God isn't changing me in the process and making me look more like Jesus as life goes on, but in the moments of belief, that's what happens for us, and it gives us assurance of our salvation. Is just to realize that it's a completed task, right? And that's and that's the power of the resurrection. Because when we point to it, we say this is not just one man rising from the dead, but this is all men who have the opportunity to do so and to experience new life. Yeah, and the next verse, you know, adds to it because he says in verse eighteen, he says, "Then though also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished." So in other words, if we take away the resurrection, anybody who has died, and the Bible uses the term fallen asleep, they're, they're, if, if there's no resurrection, then they're gone. It's, that's it. Like a lot of people think that after we die here, um, there is nothing else. And if Jesus Christ isn't who he said he was or didn't do the things that the Bible teaches us that he did, that's a true statement. Life would be over. Mm-hmm. But because the, resur- the death and the resurrection are true things, that God has done on our behalf. We find out that this isn't the end of life when we, when we die in this world, that there's a life to come because, and there's a resurrection for those who are believers. It's very exciting. It's what our whole existence really is based it off is. of. It's, it's how, it's why we get up in the morning and can be joyful about facing another day, even though there may be troubles in our life and, you know, struggles that we go through thinking about money and families and dealing with people. But, when you know that you have a new experience and a new life that is not your own, that has been freely gifted to you, then it definitely makes life more enjoyable and, you know, something that you can experience without fear, knowing that you are safe with Jesus. So from that first explanation uh, that we just went through, he comes at it from sort of a, I'm going to use the word negative perspective. Like if there is no resurrection, then this now he moves into a different direction. We're going to call it positive. He uses a positive notion of what the resurrection is about in the next uh, few verses. And this is even more exciting because it gives us the reality of how that truth is important to us as a people. And we're going to start with verse 20 and um, through 24. And that says, But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since by a man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, 
Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ's at his coming. Let's just stop there for, for a minute because it's rich, this section. And it it uses some words that we want to explore. It says that, but, but now Christ is risen from the dead. So Paul's moved from if this happened that to this happened. Christ was risen from the dead and he became something. He became the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Again, we use that word, that's two words, fallen asleep. It's talking about the dead. And it says that Jesus became the first fruit of those people. Okay. So we want to look at that now. There were some others, even in Jesus' ministry, who were risen from the dead. But So this must have a different meaning than, right. than what we would typically think. Uh, so it's not a chronological sense. Right. So, so Jesus became the first fruit. Now, the, that word itself implies that he, if he was the first fruit, that there's other fruit to come. Mm-hmm. Okay, so even in the harvest, that's the case. You get the first fruit, and then there's more fruit. And it's speaking specifically about the fruit of people who will be raised up from the dead. And it, it, the reason that uh, Jesus is the first fruit this way is, is because he was the first fruit who was raised up from the dead and um, uh, in, the, in, the, in the gospel light, mm-hmm. okay, in, time, in the time of the gospel. And so... Um, so and then we look further. It says, for, he gives an explanation for since man by man came death. That was Adam, right? And Paul talks about that in Romans as well. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. This is why it's important to establish Jesus as a human being, is because he came as a man, right? Right. And so the the second by man is the man is capitalized because it's referring to Christ. Yeah. By man, that man being Jesus, who was fully man, not just an illusion or a shell of man that God contrived, but actually literally physically full blooded human. So he's adding importance to the idea of the mm-hmm. Christ's humanity in, in that his humanity in his humanity came resurrection of the dead. That's an important point. So because the resurrection of the dead uh, as a man now is applied to all of us, right? Yeah. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Notice where he says that happens. It happens in Christ. There's that motif that we've looked at in the place before, and it said all shall be made alive, and it's talking about literally made alive because this is in the context of people who have died or have fallen asleep. It also is true that we've all been made alive in Christ as we believe in the gospel, but this is talking about literal life here. Um, and then, then it goes on to say, but each one to his own order, Christ the first fruits, and afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. So what happens at his coming? Well, you've got the thunder, and it, you know Paul says that there's this trump of the archangel, and the dead in Christ rise first. Yeah, so there's a time when the sort of the climax of this truth of the resurrection mm-hmm. is evidenced when Jesus comes and people who are dead rise up to meet him. What a glorious time. And, I've, then, and then everybody who else is, who actually is alive and never died the, the first death, you know. Pretty beautiful to see the second coming and the, 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 the rising up of those people who are dead directly connected to the truth of the resurrection of Christ. If Christ's resurrection didn't happen, that doesn't happen either. Right. So if 
if Christ didn't rise, nobody, no human has eternal life. You know, that's, that's how that, that eternal life is transmitted through the resurrection of Christ as we are in him. Yeah, this is an exciting thing, and it, it, it kind of goes to the, I mean, the, the texts that follow kind of put a, um, an exclamation mark on it um, as we read from um, 24 to 28. And that says, Then comes the end, and when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So yeah. let's talk about that because there's a little confusion. There's some confusion there. The, the main text I want to talk about is, is that the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. That is to say that this is directly connected to the resurrection, right? And because of the resurrection, ultimately death will be destroyed, right? And this comes as Jesus uh, in the end, then comes the end. It says delivers the kingdom of God to the father. Who's the kingdom of God? It's the, it's the people you know, that he is his bride, Christ, his bride, right? He delivers Christ. them and he puts an end to all rule and authority and power. And he's talking about, as we go through scripture, we find there's a lot of places where authority and power exist that are not uh, from, from God's origin. And he puts all that aside. And he, that means that he is now the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And, uh, and that finally death is destroyed. And so here we have this is a description of not only did Jesus take care of the problem with death at, at his resurrection, but he is going to ultimately take care of it forever as he presents us to the Father as his kingdom. What a wonderful thing to know throughout eternity that death doesn't have a chance to return. Right. It won't exist ever again in any, ever again. In any of its forms. Yeah. So this is Paul's exciting uh, representation to a people who were struggling with the notion of a resurrection. I hope what this does for for you and I and for people who are listening, I hope it lets us think a little bit more about what actually the resurrection means to us. It means that we move from death into life and that that life is a new life in Jesus Christ. It's a a resurrection into eternal life, which begins today as we abide in him. It's not something we need to even wait for Easter for, for the, the resurrection weekend. It's something we can practice daily, believing that we are alive in Christ and that what he has promised will actually come to pass. Yeah. So be sure to join us for our, our next episode where we'll be talking about the ascension, uh, something we don't normally talk about, but... Also, stay tuned. Uh, we've, we've got an upcoming episode, uh, questions and answers. So if you've been enjoying the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your questions. And uh, maybe if there's a point that you, hey, if you disagreed with, we'd love to hear it. If there's something you want to encourage us with, we'd love to hear too about that. So please uh, write to us at contact at simplicityoutreach.org. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook as, as well. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, I'm Andrew. And I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening. 
Visit AdventistCityMinistries.com for more resources, including a study guide, reference compilation, and free downloads of our book, The Ephesus Model. You can also listen to other presentations and episodes of this podcast. See the show notes for links and more information.